Hebrews chapter 10. What a good song, huh? Man, a bunch of good songs tonight. Hebrews chapter 10. We are about the, about the halfway point in the 30 days of prayer journey. It's a prayer emphasis that we do each year uh, leading into our, uh, our birthday, which would be February the 12th. And we start 30 days before that and just kind of pray ourselves into a new church year. And this year we are really just focusing on the goodness of Jesus. We're not, we're not asking Him for stuff. We're not trying to listen for guidance. We're not trying to evaluate the church. We're not praying through the covenant. Although all those things are really great, this year we're just highlighting His awesomeness and telling Him thank you and that we love Him. And the first week we looked at different ways that he fulfills the Old Testament office of prophet. This week we have looked at him as our priest. And I'd like to just pull some ideas together using a passage in Hebrews 10 to kind of maybe, um, like maybe try to tie all of it together at this point to get us ready to go into a week of Jesus our King. Um, so we're going to start in verse 11. As in every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Jesus had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So what I would like to do is just kind of walk through that a little slowly. And, uh, it, it's my favorite way to, uh, to teach and to engage the scriptures is just to go little by little. And there are different approaches that I'll take, you know, just depending on his leadership of what a Sunday night needs. But this is one of my favorite ways to do, to do this is just to go kind of slow through those verses and just see what, how they, they all would connect together. Um, so we'll start in verse 11, and uh, this is, is kind of, there's a context that we need to kind of all be on the same page about. In the Old Testament, there, God created a system of uh, atonement for sin, a system of praise, a system of prayers, and uh, there was, here was, was the reality. You had broken humanity, specifically the children of Israel, um, and then you had this holy God who was perfect. And in the presence of holiness, imperfection is destroyed. And so the people could not be with God 
God didn't want to destroy his own people. And so he, there was that separation that sin and brokenness had created. And so what God did was God created a system by which the people could approach God and they could pray to God and they could worship him and they could offer sacrifices uh, to, to ask for his forgiveness. They could, could follow certain rules and, and they had this, there was this procedural thing that he had set up. And the whole system was mediated by the priests. So they were the middlemen between the people, God. And so the, the people would come to the priests and they would bring certain sacrifices at certain times of the year for, for different things. And the sacrifice itself was always an animal and it was dependent on uh, the income of the, of the family or the individual and so people who were, had very modest income would bring a very modest animal for sacrifice. And people who were very wealthy would bring you know, more expensive animals and things like that. The, the animal had to, be, had to be perfect. It had to be of the highest value to, uh, to those who were making the sacrifice. And it had to die by bloodshed. And that's, it's just, it seems so messed up, honestly, when you think about it. But... But there, there's some, some reasoning for that that we'll see here in a second. And so they were in this system where over the course of the year, at different points, they would come and make different offerings and praises and things through the priest to God, who, um, once the, the temple was built in Jerusalem, like God lived, uh, his, his manifest, the manifestation of his presence on the earth was with the Ark of the Covenant, like Indiana Jones style, right? And they had the wings that would come above the, the pretty golden box, and the Ten Commandments were inside the box, and the presence of God was there. And surrounding the presence of God in the center of the, of the temple was this really, really thick, like a foot thick curtain, and kind of containing the presence of God inside of this room where, the, the, where God's presence would dwell. And that is the holiest place uh, on the earth, known as the Holy of Holies. There was like this inner room. And there was a room outside of that. There was another room. And there was like another room. And there was like this big, huge temple compound. And you had different priests that could go certain, certain distances like closer to the Holy of Holies. But it was only the high priest who could go into the actual room. And you could only do it once a year. And he had to go through a lot of purification of his own sins before he could go into the presence of this holy God. Because... The holiness of God would destroy him if he did not. And that's just how holiness works. It destroys anything impure. And so the high priest would go through all of these preparations. And he would go into this curtain. But they would, uh, they would tie a rope around his ankle. In case he was not qualified. Because he would go in and he would drop dead. And then they would be like, how are we going to get him out? So at some point they are like, tie a rope around his ankle. Just in case. Which I'm sure made the priest feel super... Super safe going in there. Um, and, and so that, like the priest would enter into the Holy of Holies once a year to make atonement for sin. And there are all these different, just different moving parts, this sacrificial system. And the priest was crucial to the whole deal. And so when Israel was split into tribes, you had, you had 12 tribes, but only 11 of them had actual land. If you ever look at a map in the back of your Bible or something, and it has the, the tribes of Israel, if you count them, there's only 11 sections. Because there was this, this one tribe, they were the Levites, and they 
where the, that, that, that was the priestly lineage. So if you were born into that tribe, somehow you were tied into functioning as a priest. And so they didn't get their own section of land because they had to live, they had to be Levites within each of those other sections of land so that the people of that tribe could make their sacrifices and their prayers and their praises through the priest to the Lord. And so the Levites functioned very uniquely in there. And so anyone in Israel, if you had talked about a priest, they would have thought about all that stuff kind of mashed into one. And that wasn't a very good description, but we'll roll with it. Uh, all those things would have immediately come to mind. So just like last week, when I say the word prophet, you think of certain things. They would have been very different things in ancient Israel. Uh, same thing with priests. They would have thought, oh, that's like they're the ones that are the middlemen between us and God. Without them, we could not be forgiven. We could not make prayers to God. We could not offer praises to God. We would not be in good standing with God without the priests. God designed a system where they were the mediators. So, we dive into this part of this chapter. And the first verse says, and this is verse 11 of chapter 10. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never, which can never take away sins. So you have these priests... These Levites who are in every tribe, and then when the temple was built, they had the Levites, like priests, at the temple in Jerusalem. Um, And they're standing every day at their service. And them standing is because there's still work to be done. They're offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. Um, If you brought, if you come to the priests, let's use our, let's like, let me use some like our yearly system. Comes to the end of 2016, you come to the priest and you've brought a goat for your family, and you go through all the like everything to atone for the sins. What does that mean about 2017? So it's just it just goes to the past. So the sacrifice in 2016 would not impact 2017. It just impacts what has already happened, not what is coming. So if you make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and you bring the goat in and the goat is sacrificed and you go through everything to the Lord, then you go back home and you enter right back into, let's call it a new calendar year of sin. So you begin to accumulate again more problems because this was not a permanent solution. That's why they're offering repeatedly the same things which can never take away sin. Like God just created a system, but it doesn't—it doesn't take it away completely, because it just hits the reset button. And that might seem really strange, but what God was doing is He's created this system that wasn't the, like it was the pre-runner to the to the real deal in in Christ. It was, it was conditioning the people and teaching the people who were really really stubborn, very prideful, not convinced that they were the problem. They needed to realize that they need. Like a redeemer to come. And so imagine your year of having to keep up with, with those kinds of things with the priests and with the sacrifices, and it just never it never stops. And the priests are always like they're always there because people are always coming, and they're just always coming and always coming, repeatedly the same sacrifice. Twenty twelve, a goat, twenty thirteen, a goat, twenty fourteen, a goat. I mean, just over and over again for all the people. Um 
there was still work to be done. And it was not, like there wasn't an animal pure enough or, or valuable enough whose blood was able to once and for all take sin away. And so the priests were always there. It was just a part of the system. And then verse 12 says, But when Christ came, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. So the priests are always standing and they're offering repeatedly the same sacrifices because, because they are not permanent. Jesus comes and makes one sacrifice and he sits down and he's seated because his sacrifice was enough. Like he's that, he's that awesome, you know. Like the sacrifice, it had to be pure and he is that pure. The sacrifice had to be valuable and he's that valuable The blood had to be shed, and his blood was that kind of blood. It was enough to where, instead of repeatedly a bunch of priests having to do all this kind of stuff over and over and over and over again, Jesus says, I'm just going to knock it out in one shot. So the priests offered a sacrifice. Jesus, our priest, offered a sacrifice. It just happened to be him, like his own life. And then he sat down. At the right hand of God, the place of honor, and he's seated because his sacrificial work is complete. Um, So this really isn't about, look how bad our sin is. This is about, look how strong our Savior is. The point of this sermon tonight is not at all, hey, let's, let's talk about the weight of our sin and what it did to our Savior. There are times... For that, and we need to be aware of that, and dialed into that, and celebrate that, and we need to grieve over that. But tonight, let's, that's not what we're here about. Like, look how phenomenally strong he is. And he's like, yeah, there's no, there's no animal, there's no repetition, there's no system. All these things are training you and training you to realize, like, we, this, we, need, we need something more, we need something more. And Jesus says, yeah, I'm the ultimate priest the ultimate sacrifice to be made. It's ridiculous how amazing he is. And so he is seated at the right hand of God. And what is he doing at the right hand of God? Just a little sidebar. Well, he's not preparing to sacrifice himself again. Like that's been done. And so at the right hand of God right now, he is making intercession for us. So his priestly role did not stop because priests didn't only make sacrifices. They also prayed for the people and they offered praise to God on behalf of the people, and they, they brought like the people in, in a sense. And so now he's there making intercession for us, and so our prayers go through him. And so earlier, you know, we're, we're praying all around the room. Some people are down here at the front, and we're praying. And all of those prayers are being empowered by the Spirit that lives inside of us who manifests Jesus in us, and then it's going... To the Father, but first it's going through Him as our intercessor. And so when you, when you and I, we're praying and we're like we're, we're right on target with what we're praying. Like Jesus is there; He's like an amplifier. He's like, yes, that, more of that, yes, awesome, love it, keep praying it, ask more, listen, hang in there, it'll be fine. He's inter- interceding; He's mediating. 
he's like whispering to the father, like, hey, it, they're right. It really is. Trust me. I was there. It really is hard sometimes. And then in times when, when maybe like we don't know what to pray, but may, or, or maybe we're praying with like really strange motives, or there's some sort of thing on our end, he's like a filter. And he's like, that's not really what they. That's not really what they want, you know. Almost like, uh, like when he was on the he was on the cross and he asked the Father to forgive his murderers because like they don't know what they're doing. Then in a very similar way, I, I believe Jesus as an intercessor sometimes is sitting there with the Father being like, they don't even know. Like she wants, she's asking for that, but that's not really, she doesn't know what she's asking for. And Jesus and the Father and the Spirit, they're, like they're, they're not going to give us, we're sitting there and we're asking for something that's going to be bad for us, they're not just going to give it to us. And so sometimes Jesus is saying, yes, more of that. Other times he's saying, no, we're not going to give you that. Other times he's saying, yeah, uh, well, maybe not right now. And so he's filtering and he's amplifying and he's confirming and he's strengthening. And when, our, when the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective as they're working, it's because like, the whole trinity is involved. So Jesus' priestly work is not done. His, the sacrificial aspect of him being our priest is. like That's, that's, that's happened but he is continuing to care for us and to guide us. And so if ever you are, are like you want to pray, but you're not sure what to ask for, or you're praying, but you're not really sure if your prayers are getting off the ground, and you kind of like wonder, like, is he, is he hearing me? I don't really know. We get to all these like hangups in our minds. Just maybe remember like, oh, wait, Jesus is there interceding for me. I don't have to be the most awesome prayer person in the world. It's good to like, we should desire a deeper prayer life. That absolutely. But but he's in the, like we don't have to like we don't have to get hung up on the things that we are not because the one who is is there filling in the gaps making up for it so your prayers are strong whether you feel like they're strong or not Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father the place of authority and he is there interceding as our advocate like that's currently what is happening and if you look at verse 14 it says, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So by a single offering, sin has been completely like taken care of. So the blood of bulls and goats and all those kinds of, of animals, the, the sacrifices being made repeatedly by the priests, they, they weren't enough to take away sin. But Jesus has offered one one offering, once for all time, that is able to like perfect us. I'm sure none of us would be like, yeah, perfect, right over here. But in terms of like God and you, like your relationship to Him, His relationship to you, that separation that we see in the Old Testament of the of like needing a priest to be in the middle, you know, because of sin and those kinds of things. Verse 14 says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So your identity is completely solid while you are also being refined and sanctified. Like you're like the who you really are is secure. 
as you're like working stuff out. So in times when when you are like you're struggling with something, there's there's maybe you're handing yourself over to temptation, or there's something that's being refined in you, and you're kind of struggling along, and and you really aren't sure how that like you're like why am I so conflicted about this? Where's that dissonance come from? It's because who he has made you on the inside is conflicting with your behavior on the outside. Those are are like working against one another. And what is being said in those moments is like, hey, you're acting in a way that's contrary to who you really are because you have been perfected once for all time and you are being sanctified. So you are becoming more and more each day who you really are. That that's what Jesus has done is he said, okay, let's, let's bring you into the presence of God because you have been made holy and now let's help, let, let me just help you over time catch up with this new identity that you have. And none of that's a little bit confusing. It confuses me. I and mean, even when I talk about it, I'm like, yeah, but mm, I'm not sure about this or this or this. And it's almost like the writer of Hebrews, the spirit through him was like, hey, the people aren't going to really buy into this. Which is why he says in the next verse, and the Holy Spirit, verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. And I think that's a little bit of saying, like, I know that sounds too good to be true. You know, that Jesus has offered this, this once-for-all sacrifice for your sin and made your identity, like who you are, perfect. And now you're just going to slowly transform to catch up with that. Like, you and God are good, even, even on the days when you're just embarrassed about the things that you've done or said or thought. That God's, like you and God are still good because of what Jesus has done. Like that might sound too good to be true, and you kind of want to find a reason for that to not be the case. So, guess what? The Holy Spirit agrees. Like he agrees with the writer of, of Hebrews. He, he wants to weigh in as well and bear witness to this. And so, what does the Holy Spirit do through the writer of Hebrews? He references the Old Testament prophecies about this very thing in Jeremiah 31. So, he quotes the Bible, which is always a really good way. To get back on track with where you need to be. Verse 16. This is from Jeremiah 31. It says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put, their, I'll put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And so he's quoting, it's, there's a larger passage there, but they're all, it's kind of churning in the same, in the same well of ideas. He makes reference there in verse 16, says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. So what's a covenant? A covenant is, is an agreement between two parties about how they're going to treat one another. It's simple, but it's really, really deep. Like It's, it's more than a contract or a you know, handshake or anything like that. A covenant has a really deep tie. And so to have a covenant, you have to have, you have like the, the two people involved, party A, party B. Um, then you have the terms of the covenant, like what's our agreement going to be. And then you have uh, an animal that you murder. <laughs> That's how they would make covenants in the Old Testament. It's actually, they would say that they would cut a covenant. It's because they would cut the animal in half. And I know that seems really dramatic. But there was bloodshed over a covenant. And so you had, you had the two parties represented. You had the terms of the covenant. 
And then the sacrifice that was made was basically you're saying, may this happen to me if I break the covenant. That's why it's more than a handshake. You know, it ain't a pinky swear. This is like, this is real stuff. It's, let's kill an animal over this kind of stuff. And so if God is talking about this covenant, then what are the terms of the covenant? Well, that's what he's about to explain. So who are the parties involved? The covenant is between man and God. So Jesus comes in, and Jesus uh, changes the game. So the first, well, there's several covenants in the Bible. Well, the old covenant, you had God, you had man, you had the terms of the covenant, which are uh, all through the first five books of the Bible, um, which can be boiled down to a couple of like central statements, but uh, there are clear, clearly stated terms between God and man, and the animals that were sacrificed were brought to them repeatedly over and over and over again. Then Jesus comes along, and Jesus says, okay, I'm going to mediate a new covenant, and it's going to be between God and man, and there will be a sacrifice, but Jesus says, okay, well, I have... And completely God. So Jesus says, I'm going to represent the God side of the covenant agreement. So I'll be party A. And then Jesus is like, but I'm also fully 100% man at the same time. Which is kind of mind-boggling, but it's like definitely there in the Bible. And so Jesus is like, well, I'll be representative of God in this covenant. And I'll be representative of man in this covenant. And since there is no like really, really awesome bull out there that we can sacrifice that's good enough for a covenant between the God-man and the God-God, um, Jesus says, I will also be the sacrificial animal whose blood secures this covenant and is shed so that the terms of this covenant will like forever be in place. And this is going to be a completely different covenant than the other covenant. The other covenant was, was great. This one is just better. The other, the other covenant got the job done. This one gets it done forever, once for all. Because only Jesus could represent God and man and be the sacrifice. He had to play all three roles, and so he raised his hand and said, I'll go and do that. I'll, be, I'll do that. So these are the terms of the covenant. So he's representing us, and he's representing heaven, and he's representing like the sacrifice. And these are summaries of the terms. Verse 16... I'll put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Now the difference, not the difference, one of the differences, the old covenant was, it was external. It was, these are the laws, I'm going to write them on these tablets that we're going to carry around in this really beautiful box. And God's going to live there. And you're going to have to do all these external things through the mediation of a priest in order to be right with God, to praise God, to pray for God's blessing, those kinds of things. And you're going to be in this system that has a lot of external things that you're doing. And in doing all those things for all those years, you're going to start to realize, like, hey, I don't think that the problem is on the outside. I don't think it's an external thing. Because it doesn't matter how sincere I am when I bring that animal to the priest and how repentant I am about the sins of 2016, when I'm going right back home and guess what's going to happen on the journey back anger i'm gonna say something i shouldn't say i'm gonna have a thought i'm ashamed of i'm gonna i'm gonna yell at the kids i'm gonna talk down to my spouse i'm gonna 
you know, I'm going to kick the dog or whatever. They had dogs, but uh, something's going to happen and I'm going to continue to mess things up. It doesn't matter how sincere I am. I don't think the problem is external. And maybe after generations of slaughtering these animals, they finally got you like, man, I think the problem is on the inside. I don't think it's on the outside. It's not my behavior. That's the real problem. It's where it comes from. So Jesus says, yeah, with this new covenant that I'm going to mediate, as the, like all the, I'm representing everything about it, instead of it being external, I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to put my law on your heart and write it on your mind. Not in a tablet, in a box, in the middle of the temple. Now, inside of you exists this reality. So I'm going to live in you. I'm not, it's not going to be, I'm not going to be just with you. I'm going to be inside of you, dwelling within you. Now the real problem can be fixed. And so now the internal problem has been fixed through what Jesus has done. And now this, this transformation, this inside-out thing begins to happen. That Jesus is like, okay, awesome. I'm seated at the right hand of God, and I'm going to help you catch up with who you really are. I'm going to change you. As, at 20 years old, you'll not be the same as 25, 30, and 35, and 40. And he just keeps on going. This lifelong of change where ideally, if we follow him forward, we're going to look a whole lot like Jesus when we are elderly. That would be the goal. Because he has mediated a new covenant that's inside of us, not outside of us. Behavior is like those things are important and those things are, but they indicate something on like some distance within us. And Jesus says, I'm going to get to right to the heart of it. So there will be no more sacrifices because I'm going to take care of the, of the real problem. We go from sinner to saints, from death to life, this new creation that you're not who you used to be. And then verse 17 says, and then he adds, he being the Holy Spirit adds, Quote, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. That the terms of the covenant involve God, like, tearing out our old heart of stone, putting in this new heart of flesh that has all of the God stuff there, this new identity. And then he says, and I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Which doesn't mean that God is forgetful, because God doesn't forget things. That is saying, I will not hold those things against you anymore. That because of what Jesus has done, like he is awesome enough, his sacrifice is thorough and complete enough that God will no longer hold any of that stuff against us. That there is no like going back home and messing things up and having to repeat the sacrifice. There's no uh, being nervous to go into the presence of God. We don't have to have a priest at all, definitely not one with a rope tied around his ankle anymore. He says, I, I will remember that no more. But it doesn't mean he doesn't forget. So what does, that, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Remembering every single thing that you and I have ever done. Jesus says, yeah, I died for all of that stuff. And God says, yeah, you are the one acceptable sacrifice once for all. You have mediated this new covenant. And so knowing all of the things that all the people have done, I look at them and see saint and see new creation and see someone fully alive to be sanctified see that's the nature of forgiveness 
which maybe is why in verse 18 the follow-up statement is, where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. Forgiveness is not about forgetting. You know, that's a, that's a human construct that someone came up with one time because it sounded good on a, in a movie or on a Hallmark card or something like that, that you just have to forgive and forget, and that isn't possible. It'd be nice if it was, if you could just, like, just blank out some of the things people have done or said or whatever, but that's not forgiveness. That's just forgetting. Forgiveness is remembering all that stuff and saying, I'm not going to make you pay for what you did to me because Jesus has covered that already. And God, remembering everything that we have done, does not hold that against us because of the awesomeness of Jesus, our priest, and him as the mediator of the covenant, as the representative of man and the representative of God, and as the sacrifice, he is enough. So those are the terms of the covenant. Well, guess who wins? Us. We absolutely win because he gets to represent us and he represents man. Uh, I'm sorry, he represents us, he represents God, and he is the sacrifice and just invites us into victory. That's, he's like, come on, like you... I've done this for you, so come, come be with me. Tie your hope to me, and let's go into the Holy of Holies, and let's, let's look for mercy and grace in time of need. You can draw near confidently, because I'm that awesome. Like, you don't have to be afraid, you don't have to be timid, you don't have to be insecure, you don't have to pray just right, or if you're worried about addressing the Father, or the Son, or the Spirit, and which one do you have? It's like, it's okay, it's all going through us anyway, like, it's fine, it's all going to get there, don't worry about it, come on, tie your hope to me, Let's go in and let's, let me show you what you're anchored to. You're anchored to the, the Holy One. And so what that should do for us is we should be like, man, I, I'm not that great, but look how great He is. And He wants me to be like with Him. Like He wants me to come in. Like, let's, let's talk about this decision that you need to make. Let's... Let's talk about what you need. Let's talk about the things you're fearful of. Let's talk, let's talk through your grief. Let's, let's talk through your forgiveness issues. Let me, let's, let's do this for real together. Because our priest is that great. And so if you, if you back up to verse 11, let me tie all that like, together and see if, if maybe that thread can make sense before I wrap up. Then every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, quote, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. The Spirit then adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Now keep going. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great 
priests over the house of God, what are we supposed to do? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Like that's, that paragraph right there is, it's ridiculous the things that, that are, like, look at, look at how we get to benefit from what he has done for us. I almost wonder if the writer of Hebrews is like, I gotta put the pen down after that. Because in light of who he is, we get, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. We get to meet together, we get to draw near, we get to be confident, we get to ask for what we need, we get to stir up one another. We can't stop meeting together. This has got to be important to us because we need this. Jesus has provided this for us to, I mean, I just cannot imagine what was going on when this was being put down on paper. And this this should kind of fire us up a little bit, you know. This should draw us out of sin patterns and insecurities, and it should be like, oh, that's why that's why I can have hope. That's why it's okay to share my life with people. That's why I need the church. That's why the gathering of the saints has got to be important. That's why my community group is. That's why He's given them to me. Is over and over and over again we're saying, hey, let's not forget where our hope our hope lies. Hey, hey, let's let's not forget that it's good to ask. Let's ask together. Let's carry burdens. Why? Because Jesus is that awesome. Like he is, he is that good. And like we sang right off the bat tonight, we're the singing will not stop. And I know, like sometimes you know, we kind of talk about heaven not being this like if it's a marathon worship service. I don't know if I'm going to like that very much, you know. But maybe the singing part of it is, maybe it's not as literal as we think it is. Maybe for an eternity on the new earth, as we are going about our lives, we're just never, it's never going to be lost on us how great he is. You know how sometimes you, you forget, you know, you ever go a couple of days, you're like, man, I hadn't thought about the Lord one time. But that will never be the case for all of eternity. Maybe it involves a lot of singing. Maybe it's just about, like, we're just responding all the time to this kind of awesomeness. I don't know about you, but this makes me want to ask. It makes me want to draw near. It makes me want to be humble. It, makes, it just produces that awe and that love. And that, I don't know why he does it, but he's just, he's just that good. And so I hope this meets you in a place of, of, of in, I hope it's encouraging to you. I hope that you're able to read this and be like, my goodness. Who am I that he is mindful of me? He's more than mindful. And that's just tremendous. So whatever your response is to this, uh, it, it all comes down to who he is. And so we're going you know, to do our normal response thing, which is kind of threefold. We pray. Like this, is, we'll be, this is all open again. If you want to come and just kneel and pray. You could pray anywhere in the room, but it's here. We're going to sing. We're gonna, communion will be served. Adam's going to be serving. And If you are a Christian, like you are a follower of Jesus, you are invited to our communion table. 
you don't have to be a member, but you, you need to be like you need to be a surrendered like uh, this new covenant has ex- that exchange has happened within me person. And if you're like if you're not, if you're confused by that, you want to talk about that, I'm going to be right over there. You just come, we'll talk, or I'll be here afterwards. All kind of people would love to talk to you about that. But all of our responses are in light of who he is and what he has done. So as you tear that bread, that gluten-free bread, the body of Christ that's broken for you, that his sacrifice was made, like he is, but look how thorough it is. And you dip it into the juice, and it's the blood of Christ poured out for you. But think about what the blood did. May our response in communion really just still be about how great, just stunningly amazing he is. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to respond, kind of let that kind of roll a little bit, and Adam will come close us out in a minute. But I hope this meets you in a really good place, and I hope that um, these closing minutes can kind of be exactly what we need before God like propels us back into the week ahead. Um, so let's stand together. Let me pray for us as the band comes back up. Jesus, you are a gift to us. I mean, there's no, uh, there's no way around. Uh, there's just no better, more powerful way to. Um, I mean, you could not have done more for us. That's what I'm saying. As our perfect prophet, bringing to us the words of God and the character of God and the wisdom. And the guidance of God, and as our priest standing in the gap for us, bringing us to God again, our once for all sacrifice. Pray that you would help us to just respond to who you are and your goodness. That as we take communion and sing and pray, or a mixture of all those things. That you would help us as individuals and as a group just to tell you that we love you and we're thankful and that we're humble, humbled by your just amazingness to us. That this would be, uh, that we would draw near even in these closing moments. Take advantage of what you have provided for us as our priests. We love you very much and pray all this. In the name of Jesus, amen.